love your neighbor. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. I pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Love God. Love your neighbor. It sounds simple. The Pharisees heard that the Sadducees had been shut down by Jesus. So they sent a a lawyer forward who asked, which is the great commandment? For centuries there had been much debate about which of 613 laws was the greatest. They found 248 positive ones and 365 negative ones. I guess that's one negative one average for each day of the year. It's a lot of laws. Which law does this Jesus say is the greatest? And the Lord answers. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Of course, every Anglican hears those words every week. It's the summary of the law, except in Lent when we hear the Ten Commandments. Let's look at the first, and then the second, and then both together. The great and first commandment is, in fact, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Observant Jews, then and now, pray this scripture twice a day. It is regarded as the central creed of Judaism. It's recited as the climactic moment of the final prayer of Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the Jewish year. Traditionally, it's the last words at the time of death. The prayer is named for its first word, which in Hebrew is Shema. Shema means to hear, to listen. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. In English, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Take to heart these instructions with which I charge you this day. Impress them upon your children. Recite them when you stay at home. And when you are away, when you lie down, and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand, and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead. Inscribe them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Jesus continues his answer to the Pharisee by reciting the second most important commandment. It is from Leviticus 19.18. 
Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, Jesus answers the Pharisee with a prayer already on the lips of all good Jews and a very familiar scripture from Leviticus. So simple, so clear. Two straightforward scriptures known by all. He goes on to say, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets refers to the entirety of the sacred Hebrew scriptures, which are known to us, of course, as the Old Testament. Indeed, the whole Old Testament points to and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, it's going to take us a while to get through the whole Old Testament this morning, so I hope you brought a sack lunch. Jesus himself explained to his disciples, After his resurrection, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So what can we say about loving God? Well, he commanded us to love him. The first and great commandment, of course, tells us just that. We're to love him with our whole being, with everything in us. And you know, he makes it pretty easy to love, easy to love him. We love him because he loved us first. Isn't it easy to love someone who loves us? It's harder to love someone who despises us. God loves us and he loved us first. He created us in his own image, and in him we have our being. He loves us, and he wants us to love him. Well, he chose us. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. To know that God has chosen us from all eternity is deeply reassuring. He really does want us. And by His grace, we're saved. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It is God who saves us from sin and provides for us eternal life with Him. It's almost too good to be true. But it is true. It's too easy. It's a free gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Yet, we are alive in Christ. So God created us, loves us, provides that we may be with Him for the rest of eternity. So how do we, how do we go about expressing our love for God? Well, first of all, to love God is to love Jesus. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So if a person says he loves God, then he must love his Son as well. Conversely, Jesus says, Whoever hates me hates my Father also. Well, what does God's love stir in us? And as I read earlier, 
One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. And here we are. Here we are with our brothers and sisters. We are in His temple. And it is beautiful. Right here. Right now. And it will continue. The beauty of the Lord is all around us. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And Jeremiah says, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. O Lord God of hosts. Sometimes we make sacrifices. Paul wrote, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We show our love by giving. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we show our love by obeying, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Well, the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Don't we love ourselves a lot? I mean, consider these words. Love your neighbor as yourself. I believe Jesus is saying, just as you already love yourself, you care for yourself, you think about yourself, you're to love your neighbor in the same way. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. And if he can't love his brother who has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We exert tremendous effort caring for ourselves and in comforting ourselves. How hard do we seek to avoid feeling shame? How hard do we seek the favor of other people? What would happen if we simply loved our neighbor? We could do it, but it's not natural at all. It's supernatural. Jesus can do it through us if we let him. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born adversity. When the going gets tough, you find out who your real brother is. 
And finally, Jesus said, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. As we do these things to the least of these, we do them to the Lord. Well, what then do we make of these two commandments taken together? When these two commandments are juxtaposed. No one has ever loved God with all his heart, with all his being. No one has ever loved his neighbor as himself. The first and second commandments are inextricably linked. This linkage is a great deal of tension. We can't allow ourselves to compartmentalize our lives, thinking that how we treat people has nothing to do with our relationship with God. Well, let's look. Warm feelings of gratitude may fill our consciousness as we consider all that God has done for us. But it is not warm feelings that Deuteronomy 6.5 demands of us, but rather stubborn, unwavering commitment. Similarly, Leviticus 19.18 says, to love our neighbor, even our enemies, does not mean that we must feel affection for them. To love our neighbor is to imitate God by taking our neighbor's needs seriously. It means having empathy for them. It means serving them. It means giving them the kinds of things we give ourselves. Biblical love is more than affection. It is commitment. How much does someone love God? Look at how much He loves people. God's love for us is amazing. It can overflow our being. And that very same overflow can spill out onto other people if we allow it. Jesus' summary of the law is exceedingly powerful and disturbing for it takes the Pharisee lawyer and us from achievement to attitude where no one can boast fulfillment. The Pharisee lawyer had achieved status. He was strong on ethics, but he was an infant in relationships. To him, Jesus' teaching was a disturbing mirror of his heart. Loving others can be easy or hard. It may not be a great challenge to love a friend or a family member, the sacrifice is not great. But loving one's neighbor cannot be limited to what is easy. <laughs> Some people are hard to love. Many have noted that loving God is a lot easier than loving one's neighbor. And most of us know at least one person who proves that observation to be true. But that does not excuse us from seeking to love our neighbor. No matter how difficult he or she may be, obedience to this second commandment is a concrete manifestation of our love for God. What if our neighbor is our enemy? When our neighbor is our enemy, we face perhaps the most difficult test of all. Jesus boldly calls us to love our enemies. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor 
and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In this passage, Jesus calls us to pursue a perfect, not exactly perfect, a mature, a mature love, to love in the way our Heavenly Father loves. For many of us, this command is really disturbing. In fact, the more we understand what it really means to love God and neighbor, the more we realize just how impossible it is, at least in our own strength. It is not impossible Jesus says it is possible. Jesus is serious. Love is to be our priority, and it is possible to love as he commands. Not perfectly, but with increasing maturity. Without love, obedience to commandments degenerates into mere legalism. Love for God necessarily entails providing for the welfare of others. Love, therefore, becomes the means for applying the law. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul quotes Jesus, who quotes Leviticus 19.18. Paul calls us to trade in all the law of Moses for a one-word law. Love. Those who have been loved by God to respond by loving others. Clearly, even love for God is not something of our own making, for we are by nature God's enemies. If loving God and others were dependent on us alone, it would be hopeless. But once we believe the gospel and trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, bringing new life and pouring God's love into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate source of love in our lives. He is charged with making us into a people of love. No one has ever loved God with all his being. No one has ever loved his neighbor as himself. I'll finish with something C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. A Christian is not someone who never goes wrong, but one who is enabled to repent, pick himself up, and begin again, because the Christ life that is inside him. Amen.